You're listening to a podcast from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries. For more information about our church, please visit us at rmcmchurch.org. Okay, why don't you go ahead and open your Bibles. First of all, uh, this is going to be a little, well, I'm not going to say it's going to be weird. It's going to be weird for me. It should be fine for you. Uh, Lord woke me up at 3.30 this morning and downloaded a bunch of stuff and, um, so I'm going to do my best to put this together the way I feel like he wants us to do it today. So we are still talking about this idea of living an undeterred life, living a life where, uh, in fact, let's, why don't you open your Bibles over to Hebrews 11, and I just want to, I, this may be the last week in this series as far as I know, and, and I just want to go back and kind of read our entire, um, the entire book of Hebrews. No, I, I just want to uh read our entire foundation passage, and we've got a few passages to look at this morning, but um, so I want to start in verse 13, and of course, you know, we know that Hebrews 11 is a a chapter where God commends a bunch of uh, Old Testament people for their faith, and he gives us a lot of information about faith and how that works. And again, our our primary goal in this is to, uh, we want to be people who endure. We don't want to get turned aside from believing in God or from, even more than that, from growing in him throughout our lives. We don't want to come up against something at some point in our life, some big loss, some disappointment, somebody uh, stabs you in the back and betrays you. Somebody, something doesn't work out the way you wanted it to work out. You know, uh, something that you've been praying for and believing God for is delayed for a long time. Any of those types of things can deter us. It can pull us off track. It can get us turned aside. And we don't want to do that. We want to live our whole life in faith toward God. And so um, I want to begin in verse 13. I'm reading from the NIV here. It says, all these people, speaking of all those, we call them the heroes of faith, you know, but uh, anyway, all of all these people were still living by faith when they died. They did not receive the things promised. They only saw them and welcomed them from a distance, and they admitted that they were aliens and strangers on earth. People who say such things show that they are looking for a country of their own. And this is the verse we're looking at first this morning. We looked at it last week. If they had been thinking of the country they had left or from which they emigrated, as what the Amplified Bible says, they would have had constant opportunity to return to it. Instead, they were longing for a better country, a heavenly one. And I love this this last phrase in verse 16. Therefore, God is not ashamed to be called their God, for he has prepared a city for them. In the Amplified Bible, it says, they were yearning and aspiring to a better and more desirable country. That is a heavenly one. For that reason, God is not ashamed to be called their God, even to be surnamed their God, the God of Abraham, Isaac and Jacob, for he has prepared a city for them. I love that. You know, this whole passage brings us into all these truths and and it brings us into this. um, It it gives us God's perspective on these people and the way that they lived. And at the very end there, it says, because of this, they were yearning for a heavenly country. And we've said several times during this series that when we look at the Old Testament um, truths and stories about the promised land, okay, all of that was genuine and that was what it was for Israel. But for the New Testament believer, that idea of land or country, it, it is also a foreshadowing of our life in Christ and the salvation that we enjoy. And so they were yearning for a heavenly land, a heavenly life, a life that spoke of heaven's values and heaven's uh, perspective, a a life lived with God, a life lived as it would be in heaven, on earth as it is in heaven. And, And he says, because of that, because of that yearning, because they had that desire, because that was the focus of their life, he wasn't ashamed to be called their God. And I just, I just think that's awesome. And I think every one of us can, can take hold of that. 
But I want to I want to go back here to verse 15 and just go through. We talked about this last week. I just want to do a little bit of uh, review and, and add a couple of things that we didn't have time for last week. Uh, because this is such an important passage. This is such an important truth. Again, we're talking about not getting deterred. We're talking about these people were still living by faith when they died. That's a, in verse 13. That's just a huge idea for us that we want to go all the way through. No matter what comes up, we want to go all the way through. We want to have endurance. We want to have perseverance in our faith toward God. Can you agree with that? And and so this is this is just a real key here. In verse 15, it says, if they had been thinking with homesick remembrance of that country, or again, that life from which they were emigrants, they would have found constant opportunity to return to it. So the Lord begins to talk to us about a frame of mind, about what we're thinking about, about um, whether we will get discouraged about our current life and our current challenges and begin to think back into our life. And it says, with homesick remembrance. I really, I, I love the way the Amplified brings this out. If they had been thinking with homesick remembrance. So you remember last week, uh, if you were here, we... We talked about the fact that this word thinking means to continually call something to mind. It means to carry some thoughts around with you. So this is something that is on your mind, on your heart all the time. And you're beginning to think back either to your life. It could be your life before you met Jesus. I've watched people do that and think back and, and they begin to think, you know what? This is hard, this walking with God thing. Things were easier then, all right? I didn't have the challenges. I didn't have the spiritual warfare. I didn't have some of my friends still liked me then that don't like me now because, uh, because I love God, because I go to church, because I, you know, I love the word of God, you know, those types of, those types of things. And we can begin to think back on these things and, and, um, and then we can, this word thinking also means to talk about, to carry on a habitual conversation about what you're remembering. So we start to think about it, and it, it might not be your life before Christ. It might be your life before God required something of you, brought you to a new stage of growth, set you free from something, but brought you into some new responsibility. Because whenever the Lord brings increase into our life. It always is accompanied by greater responsibility. What the things that he brings into our lives are to be stewarded, not only for ourselves, but for other people. So there's always responsibility that comes with any change that God brings to you. Because the changes God brings to us, the changes in our, our values, the changes in our being, our personality, our thought life, uh, how we treat other people, all those types of things, they're not just for us. They, they are for us, but then it's something you steward to bring to other people. If, if God brings you out of being a depressed person and brings you into being a joyful person, well, that joy can then be given away to somebody else. Whatever he gives to you is to be stewarded for other people, right? Does that make sense? So it's important that we that we get this, we're not just talking about, um, you know, that like that we're supposed to forget everything that we were or everything that we've experienced in life. It's, it's, that's not the point. The point is when we begin to, to develop, we used this term last week, a romantic fantasy life with our past. We start to remember it different than it really happened. We forget the challenges we faced then. We forget, and sometimes we talked about this, that sometimes people decide to return to a life that was so bad that they, they were seeking a way out of it and found Jesus coming out of it. And now, because of the challenges they're facing today, they start to think about it like, oh, that was just so much better. That was so good. And they develop, it's honestly, it's a fantasy life. It's a, it's a romanticized version of what your uh, past was actually like. So the Lord's not, he's not warning us about just remembering in a realistic way where we came from. That's an important part of our testimony, but we're not supposed to be uh, going back. And Israel is the perfect example of this because they prayed for a hundred years for God to deliver them out of Egypt. They prayed for a hundred years, God, save us out of slavery. 
Save us out of hard labor. Save us, bring us into your promise that you made to Abraham. They prayed for a hundred years over that. And then as they were going, every time they'd meet a challenge, you remember, you know, the, the stories, they'd say, oh, would that we were back in Egypt. You know, would that we were back. Oh, we had, we had pots of meat in Egypt. Yeah, well, what about the bricks that you had to make every day that you didn't have any materials to make? Did you forget that part? You know, did you forget the slavery? And they would do this over and over. They're, they're a perfect example of this. And the thing is that we can do the same thing. And that's a great example of, of a fantasy about what their past was really like. And it was because they were facing some challenges then. You know, they, they got, here, here God is providing for them in a miraculous way every single day, providing the manna six days a week and then a double amount on the sixth day so that it would last over through the Sabbath. Day after day, year after year, well, what happened? Well, we're sick of manna. We're tired of manna. We're tired of your miraculous provision. How about some meat? And so he brings them meat. That's probably would not have been my response. But, you know, he brings them meat. He, he brings them water out of a rock in the desert. He provides supernaturally for them. And yet every time there was a challenge, every time something was uncomfortable, they're thinking back with homesick remembrance. Uh, and, and the scripture that we're looking at, Hebrews eleven fifteen says... If we do that, we will have constant opportunity to go back to it. Where, where your mind is set, you will go. And you may think today that that's just, you know, it's not true of you, but we're all built that way. Where your mind is set, pretty soon your words are going to follow that and be produced out of that, and pretty soon that's the direction you're, you're going to be headed. So this is a, you know, this is a really powerful truth for us if we want to live this undeterred life is to always remember we need to stay again we don't have to forget everything that happens but we need to be realistic about what things were like without God in our life and honestly I think we get so used to his grace and his favor on our life that we just like with everything else I think I said this to you last week just like with our beautiful mountains and different things we just get jaded to it we just get uh, to where we're not really seeing it. And we need to take time to think and to remember and to remember what's the life we deserved and what's the life he's given us. And stay thankful, stay focused forward, stay in a place of hope because God is always taking us forward. He's always got some good things up the road for you. Okay, so um, we talked about all of that last week. I brought up Philippians chapter 3, verses um 13 and 14, which where Paul said, brothers, I do not consider myself to have taken hold of it. In other words, to have taken full possession of everything that Christ came to give me is what he's talking about in context there. But one thing I do, forgetting what is behind and straining forward what is ahead, I press on toward the goal to win the prize for which God has called me heavenly, heavenward in Christ Jesus. So he says, one thing, this is one thing. If I'm going to strain forward, I also have to forget what's behind. All right, forgetting what's behind and straining forward to what's ahead. It's one thing. Sometimes we want to do one or the other. Sometimes we want to move forward and carry our past with us. It doesn't work. We're just, we're, we're not made this way. You know, I think the old saying is, is that this is why your windshield is this big and your rearview mirror is only this big, you know, because we're supposed to be. And if you don't know that, it's a good thing for you to know when you're driving. <laughs> supposed to be actually focused on what's going on around you and, and uh, yeah, not on your phone, okay, not on your stereo. You're supposed to be looking for motorcycles at all <laughs> times and not hitting them. Okay. All right. Love to help you with your life like that. We asked this question last week, you know, what of value really did we leave behind in following Christ? What, you know, there are things in my past life that, of course, were good and I really enjoyed. But I don't know. Once you start walking with the Lord, it's like he adds fulfillment and satisfaction and life to every part of your life. You know, there are parts of our lives that, you know, we see as more spiritual. There are 
parts that we see as um, less so, although I think we're kind of off on that. There are things in our lives that we do just for fun. Uh, there are things that, you know, we've just talked for years and years about how with every thing that we've done as far just for I'm just talking about I'm trying to talk about unimportant things here recreation you know it, it's not as as important as a lot of other things in our life but if we don't make it a God if it's just something that the Lord adds to our life and we have him in first place but then we like to do these things they'll be so they'll be full of enjoyment they'll be relaxing they'll be restorative they'll be healthy whatever it is but once they become an idol, once they become a god, once they become the reason that we live, then we've got problems. Then we start to lose that sense of satisfaction and fulfillment from them. It's the same thing with work. Uh, it's the same, you know, you can just name, name your idol, you know, what, whatever it might be. What is it that you have to check with before you obey God? What is it, where does the majority of your money go or your time go? Where have you built your identity outside of God? You know, a lot of people do that with work. And while our work is really important, it's not God. And it shouldn't be God in our life. And so there's that transformation that takes place. And I can think back in my life to things that I tremendously enjoyed doing. And it's and there was nothing inherently wrong with them. They weren't sinful. They weren't, and, I, and for me, it, I always focus back on spent a lot of years flying hang gliders and that was all I wanted to do growing up I mean there there weren't hang gliders <laughs> when I first was growing up but I wanted to fly I was interested in things that flew and and then and I I started getting a pilot's license and stuff but when when foot launched silent soaring flight was available that was it that's what I wanted but I've when I look back on that part of my life, absolutely without question, hang, hang gliding became an idol to me. And the reason I know that is because it's all I wanted to do. It's all that mattered. All of my relationships revolved around it. Anybody that wasn't a flyer was just kind of background noise. Uh, I, I'm, you know, it's terrible. I, it's terrible. And I'm not the only one. It's, I have my oldest brother, we talk about this often, that it was such an addiction in our lives. We would miss important things in other people's lives if it was, if the flying was good that day. Because it's one of those things, like surfing, you've got to be there when it's happening. And if it's not happening, if the air isn't going the right direction, if the, I guess, if the waves aren't up, you know, I've never surfed, but you know, whatever, you're not in charge of that. So when it's happening, you got to be there. And so for me, you know, talking about it as an idol, life was good when I got to fly. Life wasn't good when I didn't get to fly. I was happy when I got to fly. I was grumpy when I didn't get to fly. And my brother was like that. I'm, I met a guy um, just this, just this uh, winter, he started coming to our Tuesday night Bible study that had been flying as long as I had, and he still was just recently. He's kind of gotten out of it. But we had this discussion that he was at a point in his life, he's my age, he's been doing this since he was in his early 20s, uh, and he had kind and he had realized this is his testimony, not something I'm saying about him, that he had basically given up his marriage and, and things over flying because he was always flying. If he wasn't working, he's always flying. And he had realized, he was a Christian, he had realized this has become a real addiction. So I just use that. Some of you may not be able to relate to that at all, but again, name your, name your addiction, you know, name, name your idol, whatever it might be. Maybe it's recognition, you know, maybe it's, it, it could be any number of things that you find that you need more than God. And, and the problem is that when we get God out of place in our life, all these things, there's nothing wrong with flying hang gliders. There's nothing wrong with fishing or hunting or, or climbing peaks or running or whatever it is you like to do. Uh, knitting. Uh, what is it that Vicki does? She does something. She makes quilts. Um, Anyway, never mind. I'm just trying to think of something I can't relate to that maybe you can't. Anyway, whatever it is, when we get it out ahead of God, 
we've got a problem. So when I think about this whole thing of my past, God very gently brought me out of that because something that could be a really good thing was destructive to my life because it was my God. And he does that for us. And I think it's a great thing. He brings us out of its idolatry. I mean, there's no question about it. When we get things out ahead of God, that's what that's called. It's idolatry. And it's anything that has more influence in our life, makes more decisions in our life, you know, than God does. That's, that's what idolatry is. He'll bring us out of that. And so sometimes we can think back on those times and start to, with homesick remembrance, think back on those times and think, you know, Life was really good then. There weren't these struggles or, gee, I really love doing that. And we can get drawn back into it. And the scripture says, I mean, it's really strong about it. They would have found constant opportunity to return to it. And so a couple other verses that we talked about on this subject. We looked at 2 Peter. I'm going to read you the whole passage this time. Uh, 2 Peter chapter 2, beginning in verse 20. It says, uh, if they have, this is talking about believers, okay? If they have escaped the corrupt, corruption of the world by knowing our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ and are again entangled in it and overcome, they are worse off at the end than they were at the beginning. It would have, this is just so amazing, it would have been better for them not to have known the way of righteousness than to have known it and then turn their backs on the sacred command that was passed on to them. Of them, the Proverbs are true. A dog returns to its vomit, and a sow that is washed goes back to her wallowing in the mud. And from God's perspective, that's what that is. When we go back to something that was an idol in our life, or we go back uh, to some point in our life, we, we, uh, God brings us through some breakthrough, but then there's responsibility with it that we didn't foresee. And so we just want to go back and, we, and, and just stop growing. Just go back to this point where I didn't have this challenge. I didn't have this responsibility that I feel like the Lord is giving to me. And I just want to go back. If we do that, we stop growing. We just stop growing. We go back to something in our past. And, and the other thing is that when we do that, until we repent of that and take up whatever it was the Lord was leading us into again, until we take that up again, we're not going to grow. He's not going to take you down a different path or in a different direction. He, I really believe that God takes each one of us individually. He has a plan and a purpose for our life. He knows who we are. He designed us and built us for specific things. And when we come to Christ, he starts us on this path of discipleship, essentially. And he brings change after change after change, truth after truth, revelation after revelation. And he helps us into each one of those stages and each one of those levels of what he desires for our life. And he does it very in, uh, independently. He does it, he does it personally. It's, it's tailored for you and for me. And, and so it's so important that we let him lead in our own growth and development and let him take us forward step by step by step and not leave any of those steps behind. Does that make sense <clears throat> to you? So just one more verse here and then we'll move on. John chapter 6, and I don't have it up on your screen, verses 66 through 68 and this also is from the Amplified Bible. This is another example of what we're talking about. This is where in John chapter 6, Jesus came and, and he said to the people following him, uh, if you're going to follow me as my disciple, you need to eat my flesh and drink my blood. And he explained all that as he went down, but he threw out, he threw out to them in a very raw fashion the need to be completely dedicated to him and to receive what he was saying, and to trust him enough to make it clear. And it was an extremely offensive, I mean, it's offensive to us. It was extremely offensive to the Jews, that whole idea. And he said it that way to challenge them. He said it that way to, to say, 
are you going to trust me and follow me or are you not? And so he made this statement and in John 6, 66, it says, after this, many of his disciples, listen to how this is phrased, drew back, returned to their old associations and no longer accompanied him. They drew back, and this is what we do when we get challenged. We draw back, return to their old associations and no longer accompanied him. That phrase, the Amplified brings it out in parentheses, return to their old associations, parentheses in the Amplified Bible means it's in the original language. It's not just added to, to uh, fill out the verse and, and teach us something. It's in the original language, in the idea of drawing back, is returning to our old associations. And that's what, we, that's what we do if we think with homesick remembrance of somewhere that we came from. We have watched people over and over and over, um, you know, leave a place, leave a church where they're growing and thriving and God's bringing them into new things and they know it, okay? And because of a pull from family, they'll go back to be with family and leave behind some, the place that God was taking them. We've watched people over and over and over. I've seen this mostly with husbands and wives, especially when people are coming into a spirit-filled life and beginning to embrace the idea of you know, believing that God still heals and God still delivers people and God is active and alive and moving, that the gifts of the Spirit are still at work in the earth, things like that. Many times we've seen a husband or a wife or a brother or a mother or somebody say, you know, if you will just leave that church and come back to our church, then we'll go to church with you. I've seen husbands do that over and over. If you'll just leave that place, because they're wacky, and you'll come back, and sometimes they're specific. We've seen it with the Catholic church. We've seen it with Baptist church, whatever. I'm not putting anybody down, I'm just saying and, and you'll come back into this nominal setting, then I'll, I'll go to church with you. I've never yet seen that work out. I've seen a number of people do it, and in every case, pretty soon, the husband's not going to church. If he's not going to church, can I just be straight with you? If he's not going to church, when you're in the place where you're growing, he's not going to go to church when you go back to the place that you're not growing, Okay. It just isn't going to happen. And he'll go for a few months and then he's gone and there you are and people stay there. And I'm not, you know, you're just going to have to understand what I'm saying. It's just the way it is. And, and there are things like that that people will do. They'll draw back into their old associations at some point where there was something in some place where they weren't growing or, or they were hanging out with people that were destructive to their life or, or whatever it might be. And so, you know, Jesus said, it says this about it, that after this, many of his disciples drew back, returned to their old associations and no longer accompanied him. He's always going someplace and we're supposed to be accompanying him. We're supposed to be walking with him. So everybody okay? Yeah. All right. So here are some things when we do embrace that romanticized version of the past. These are just a few things that happen, and then I've really got to move on here. When we, when we develop that fantasy thought life about our past, we become increasingly vulnerable to deception. And the reason for that is because anytime we embrace one lie or untruth in our life, we become more open to deception. It's just, it's just the way it works. And so if we, you know, that, that our our life before Christ held more hope than our, our life now, or what, whatever that might be, that when we open up our heart to something that's trying to draw us back, we will become, we start to, and we start to justify ourselves a lot of times because we know good and well we're going back. But we'll, we'll spiritualize it. We'll say, God is in this. We'll say, God's leading me this way. We'll say, whatever it might be. It's, it's not God's will that I... Uh, receive something that I was believing God to receive. You know, we'll, we'll say all kinds of things, but we'll begin to think of ways to justify ourselves before God and before people. And, and when we do that, we just open ourselves up to more and more deception. So that's one thing that happens. We feed, number two, we feed the discontentment about our current life. 
if you're discontent with your current life and you're starting to look back to something else or some relationship or some whatever it might be, you will feed your discontentment with your current life. Discontentment, it's like a fence or a lot of other things. Number one, it will color everything that you see. If you allow yourself to become discontent with your current life, it'll start to color everything. Everything will look worse. Every, you know, Everything about people become discontent with Gunnison. Gunnison has its problems, right? We all live here. Uh, but if you start to let discontentment, it's an attitude of heart. And you don't have to have it. And if you start to allow it to grow in your heart, it'll color everything. All of a sudden, there's nothing good about Gunnison, you know. And, and that'll set you back. That'll start you going a, a different direction. Contentment, here's what contentment is. It's a state of peaceful happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. Okay, peaceful happiness, satisfaction, and fulfillment. And the interesting thing is that for Christians... Okay, that condition of heart is, it's, it's not found in perfect circumstances. That's where we think contentment comes from, is from our circumstances all being in order, right? That's not where it comes from. We can have contentment in the Lord all the time, even when we may not be happy with some things that are going on in our life or around us. That's different than allowing discontent to start to get hold of your life. Discontentment, you can tell, it'll start to come out of your mouth. You'll start to be real critical. You'll start to, uh, you just get irritable and critical and everything. You, there's something wrong with everything you see. Philippians chapter 4, okay, verses 11 through 13 says this. You should write that down. Philippians 4, 11 through 13. This is Paul speaking and he says, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. But he had to learn it. It wasn't automatic. He said, I have learned to be content whatever the circumstances. I know what it is to be in need. I know what it is to have plenty. I have learned the secret of being content in any and every situation, whether well-fed or hungry, whether living in plenty or in want. So he's saying, I have learned. I've trained myself how to stay in contentment no matter what's going on around me. And, and then he gives it to us. He says, and here's the, here's the secret that he learned. I can do everything through him who gives me his own strength. I can do everything through Christ. I can face everything through Christ. The one who gives me his own strength. That's where contentment is found. If you start to romanticize your past, you're going to feed discontentment about your current situation. And maybe your situation needs to change, you know, but discontentment is not a good reason. It's just like we don't want to respond to fear. We don't want to pray out of fear. We don't want to let fear drive our decisions, move us to another community. We don't want fear to drive anything because God doesn't work with us through fear. God also doesn't work with us through offense. So we don't want to change our job or change our church or change our location because of offense. It's the same way with discontentment. If your situation needs to change, you can change from a place of peace. You can change from a place of fulfillment and satisfaction because of who God is. And then whatever changes he needs to make, he can make. And you can be at peace. So you're not driven by discontentment. Does that make sense to you? I've watched so many people make terrible decisions in their life out of discontentment. Just allow it to start growing and pretty soon everything's wrong. And, and you know, if, if everybody, if every job you go to is a problem, if everybody you hang out with is a problem, if everything in town is a problem, there's one common denominator in all those things and it's you. And we just got to be able to look at that and say, you know what? If everybody's a problem, I'm probably the problem. Okay? All right. I'm just blessing you with so many happy thoughts today. So we, the other thing we do is we magnify today's challenges while diminishing God's ability in our sight. When we start to look back and we start to romanticize our past, we magnify today's challenges. All of a sudden, they're much bigger than they really are. And at the same time, we diminish what God is able to do in our sight, 
We don't change God, but in our sight. The scripture tells us, uh, be magnified in my sight, O Lord. The, the psalmist says, as I'm worshiping you, be magnified. Just may, be made bigger in my sight. Okay? And so when we start to develop that romanticized deal, then uh, that's what we do. And then finally, we open the door to the devil to provide ample opportunity to return to the past. Okay? And it's just, you know, we've talked about that. It's just... When we, when we start to think that way, then he will provide opportunities. People will show up in your life that you haven't thought about for a long time. Opportunities to go back to something will show up in your life that you left behind a long time ago. I could tell you some stories about that, but we've made some big mistakes in our life through going back to some things that we shouldn't have gone back to. All right, I've got to get to this. I want you to go over to Exodus 23 with you, with me. Sorry, I'm kind of out of it today. Exodus 23, verse, verses 29 and 30. And I'm going to back up just a little bit in this passage and um, read you a few more verses here. It's important that we get this today. It's a part of this whole thing that we're talking about. Exodus 23, so, so God is preparing Israel to take them into the promised land. And he's talking to them about how that's how that's going to go, and how he's going to do that. And um, I'm going to start in verse 25, all right, and just pick up a little context. So he says, Worship the Lord your God, and his blessing will be on your food and water, and I will take sickness from among you, and none of you will miscarry or be barren in your land, and I will give you a full span of life. So he begins to make some really great promises to them here. And... Um, he says in verse 27, I will send my terror before you and will throw into confusion all the people to whom you shall come and I will make all of your foes turn from you in flight. And I will send hornets before you which shall drive out the Hivite, Canaanite, and Hittite from before you. So what he's saying here is that the fear of God is going to go in ahead of Israel going into this land. In other words, the influence, the Lord's influence is going to go ahead of them and prepare the way. And we know this happened because when Joshua, when they sent the spies in again, when they were going out of the wilderness and into the promised land and they spent, sent spies in again, uh, I think it was Rahab told them, we've, we've been terrified about you guys coming in for years you know, and, and so the influence and the reputation of Israel was going ahead of them. What I want you to see from that, and this really isn't on today's topic, I just want you to know it. Anywhere God is calling you, he goes ahead and makes a way. He goes ahead and prepares the way. A lot of people have this theology about God being the God of the last minute, and I don't see that in the scripture. I think that's just a religious thing we've come up with to a kind of cover over when we weren't listening to him or, or different things like that. He will come through at the last minute, but usually he's been talking to you about it for about a year and a half and we haven't been paying attention. He goes ahead and prepares a way before us. And that's what he was doing for them. He, was, he had already uh, gone ahead and was establishing things ahead of them. And so let's just, yeah, come down to verse 29. This is so important. He says, I will not drive them, the inhabitants of the land, the people that were living there before Israel came in. I will not drive them out from before you in one year, lest the land become desolate for lack of attention and the wild beasts multiply against you. I will not drive them out in one year. So I've made this promise to you that you're going to go into this land, that you're going to go into this for us, this salvation life. But I will not do everything immediately. I will not do everything in one year. Why? Because they, well, let's read the next verse. Little by little, I will drive them out from before you until you have increased and are numerous enough to take possession of the land. 
God is going to bring you forward in stages and in steps. He's going to bring you into his promises in stages and in steps to the point where you, he's going to be building us on the inside. He's going to be building our character. He's going to be strengthening us. He's going to be teaching us. He's going to be removing sin from our lives. He's going to be doing all of these things so that we have the character to uphold and properly steward the blessing that he brings into our lives. He is not going to bless you with something that is going to destroy your life because you're not ready to handle it. An obvious example of that is the Lord's not, a lot of people, well, I, I want my own business. Well, have you been faithful working for somebody else in their business yet? Have you put your head down and worked when you didn't like what your boss was doing? Have you been have you have you been there? Are you that employee that when the boss's back is turned, you do the same work that you would do if he was there? Okay? He or she. Okay? Have are you that person? Have you developed that character? People say, Well, I just I see in the scripture that God wants to bless me financially. Well, he does. But is that we look at the lottery thing. Almost everybody that wins the lottery goes into mass. A few years later, their life is in ruins. Why? Because they didn't have the character on the inside to handle what came into their lives. It's just a human nature issue. And so God told them, look, I'm going to drive them out, but not in one year. Because you are not ready to handle the responsibility of the blessing that I'm bringing you. So he's going to walk through it with us. He's going to grow us. He's going to change us. And the reason I bring this out right here is because this is a reason, this is a big reason that people get deterred in their faith and in their life because something didn't happen in the time frame that they thought it should happen. God didn't give them something in the time frame that they, they thought should happen. I know when God did not bring Karen into my life until I was ready to completely commit and dedicate my life to him and accept the changes he was making so that I could be a good husband to her. He didn't do it. I'd been praying for a Christian wife forever while I was while I was worshiping hang gliding, smoking dope, getting, you know, doing all this stuff. And he didn't, you know, I don't know why. He didn't bring her then until I was at a point of real commitment to him and ready to go forward with him. Then he brought her and told me, this is my daughter, and you had better do this right. So anyway, it was scary, I'm telling you. So um, another verse on this, Third John 2 says, Beloved, I pray that you may prosper in all things and be in health just as your soul prospers. God is always going to establish something on the inside of us. Because here, uh, I've just got to wrap this up. His purpose for us and I'm going to go back to this idea of the promised land. His purpose has always been to raise us up to be adult children, to function with him in what he's doing in this earth. Here's what I woke up at 3.30 this morning. Here's what the Lord said to me. I am looking for adult children that will watch with me, walk with me, and work with me. Watch with me, walk with me, and work with me. All right? And and so let's think back as God brought Israel out of Egypt. He took them first. They went into the wilderness, right? And that was where everything was coming to them through miracles. They were fed by miracles. They were protected by miracles. They, were, they had heat at night and cooling by day through miracles. They had water by miracles. Everything was brought to them by miracles. All right? So for most of us, we would think, that's what the promised land is about. That's what, that's what living with God should be like. Everything should be done for me by miracles. That wasn't the promised land. When they went into the promised land, the manna stopped, the water out of the rock stopped, and they moved into a situation where instead, and we're going to have to take a Sunday to just talk about this sometime, they moved into a situation where instead they were partnering with God and his favor and his grace was upon them so that they, in, in working, in working the orchards and working the fields, would produce abundance that could feed themselves and others. Is this making sense to you? The promised land, you had to work. The promise, everything didn't just fall out of the sky. And yet most of us would think, 
that that's the way life with God is supposed to work. That was never God's plan. Miracles are important. You guys, I think most of you come here, you know what we think about that. Miracles are important. Miracles are wonderful. But God's intention was that we start to walk with him and live with him and uh, grab hold of his values and his principles. The promised land was a place where principles were applied that produced tremendous abundance. That's what it was supposed to work. And they would feed other nations. I will bless you and you will be a blessing to others. That was always God's plan. So we need to realize in this, this is what God's looking for. And it, it requires us to live this undeterred life, to keep growing in this. In the New Testament, when it calls us uh, sons of God or children of God, most of the time that comes from the Greek word huios, H-U-I-O-S. And it means adult children who partner with the father, who hold the father's values, who represent the father. Like the father has a business and the children grow up in the business and they have power of attorney for the father. They represent, they carry his name, they represent him, they partner, they work in the business with the father. That's the picture of being a child of God. God is looking for adult children not just being babies that get fed for their whole lives supernaturally, but those who partner with him in what he's doing in the earth. Does this make sense to you? Okay, I'll just give you a couple more things and we're done. So he gave me those words this morning and I said, I said, you know it's 3.30 in the morning, right? And I didn't get a response to that. But anyway, so then I, I just... And I had to write this stuff down as soon as I got up. I said, okay, you're saying you want us to watch with you, to walk with you, to work with you. What's that about? And this is what I feel like he gave me. that The word watch means to be alert to what's going on around us spiritually. He wants adult children that are aware of what he's doing and aware of what's trying to flush other people's lives down the toilet. And we are to be in that. We're to discern God's desires and purposes and be ready to exercise our spiritual authority on behalf of other people, okay? We're partnering with him in what he's doing in this earth. It means to have our spiritual senses sharpened by time with God and in his word. So we are to be those who watch with him. We're aware, we're alert, uh, we're awake. The New Testament uses all those terms to describe this idea and then we're to walk with him. And, and the idea there is that term walk, it means you know, we hold his values, we hold his lifestyle, we walk with him. We're on the same path with Jesus. We're going where he's going. We're doing what he's doing. We're watching to see, you know, what is he saying? And that's what we're going to say. What is he doing? And that's what we're going to do. We're walking with him, all right? Um, to walk with Jesus is to be where he is, to hold his perspective, to live by his values and principles, not just wandering and wondering about what values we're supposed to hold in life and that kind of thing. You know, it's great to ask questions, but at some point you need to get some answers and hang on to them. You know, it's, it is great to ask questions. It really is. But there's nothing wrong. There's everything right with knowing what you believe and standing on it. You know, I, I just encourage you to really not fall into this relativism. Everything's just up to our opinion. That's a, it's just nonsense. All right. And then to work with him. He's looking for adult children to work with him. Again, that term, uh, oh, here, I just said this to you, but I'll just read it from my notes. The term weos means an adult child who partners with the father in the father's business, represents the father's interests rather than just his own, carries the full authority of power of attorney for the father. And we see that in whatever you bind or forbid on earth must be what's already forbidden in heaven. What you loose on earth, what you permit has to be what's already permitted in heaven. Okay, we, we see that the scripture calls us fellow workers and, and joint co-laborers with God. And so I, I just throw all that out to you today because in all of this, we are to be growing into maturity in Christ. We are to be receiving what he is saying, letting him you know, letting him transform our thinking and our hearts and our minds and our direction, picking up his purposes more and more. This is what God's plan for human beings has always been. 
And it's always kind of blown my mind that that's what he wants to do is partner with us and have us represent him on this earth. What an amazing privilege that is. And you don't have to be something super special. You don't have to. You're just you. But you're you walking with Jesus. You're you letting the Lord lead you in this progression of change. Okay, does that make sense to you? All right, let's stand up and pray. I hope you got something out of that today. If not, don't tell me about it. No, I'm just kidding. Check it out. Well, it's asleep now. Weight bearing. I love it. I'm bearing weight. All right, Father, we thank you so much, Lord, for who you are. We thank you, Lord God, for the call that you've placed upon our lives. I thank you, Lord, for this idea that, Lord, you are calling us to be your adult children. You are calling us to walk with you and work with you. And you have a truly wonderful, special plan and purpose for every one of us. Every one of the people in this room fit into your plan. And Lord, as we go out into our jobs, as we go out into interactions with family and with people, Lord, this, this very week, Lord, I thank you that your grace and favor flows upon us and upon all that we do and not only blesses our lives, but causes us to be a resource for the people around us. Lord, we want to carry light out into this uh, out into our community, out into every place that we go. We want to carry your life. Father, help us to know how to, how to bring your life and blessing to our culture. Lord, we don't want to be antagonistic to our culture. We want to be salt and flavoring upon our culture. Lord, uh, the relationships that each of us have in our workplaces and our families and things, Lord, where you want to bring influence, we just open our hearts to that. And we trust, we just know you can do it. Lord, you can give us the words to speak. You can give us the actions to take. You can give us all of that. And so, Father, we just embrace this idea. And I just pray over this whole congregation, those who are here today, those who are not. Father, that we would be people who are never deterred from following after you. We never get turned aside by anything that comes into our life. And we are always able to keep you first in our lives. And we thank you for it this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. All right. Well, we're going to be dismissed. Everybody be safe out there this week. We're going to say Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. I really miss having a lot of great fireworks to play with. When it's too bad. We used to do all kinds of fun things. Uh, so, yeah, have a, great, have a great holiday and a great week. And uh, we will have a couple of us will be up here to pray for you after church. If you need prayer, please come up and get it. Okay, say it on the count of three. One, two, three. Jesus is Lord over the Gunnison Basin and the world. Amen. Thank you for listening to this message from Rocky Mountain Christian Ministries in Gunnison, Colorado. We hope you will visit us at rmcmchurch.org, like our Facebook page, or subscribe to our messages on YouTube.